come tonight to the um, last section in this chapter, in chapter 10. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll really kind of touch on all those last four verses, but there's one image that's in verse um, uh, 21 that I want to leave for next week. We'll come back and take a look at it next week and wrap up the, the chapter next week. <clears throat> but this is the last section of Paul's argument. Now, let me try to um, give you just a quick summary. I know you don't remember this, um, but back when we started chapter 9 of the book of Romans, I, I told you then that chapter 9, 10, and 11 is a section. It's a subsection within the book of Romans. 9, 10, and 11 go together. Uh, if, if I hate to say it like this, but we're going to say it like this anyway. That This section is over the Jewish question. <clears throat> he starts in chapter 9 um, by groaning over his fellow, my kinsmen according to the flesh in verse 3. That's 9-3. And then th- this, this subsection really gets lost in the shuffle because it, it addresses these great issues of election. And so people get all hot and bothered about that and miss uh, the, um, uh, or, or forget the fact that this is, this is a section. 9, 10, and 11 go together. Uh, at the end of 9, he, uh, contr- he, he says in verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. And then in verse 31, but that Israel pursued... He's contrasting um, g- the Gentile inclusion uh, versus the Jewish exclusion. That is, Gentiles embraced this message and Israel did not. Then I told you that chapter 10 is really a commentary on verses 31, 30 through 32 in chapter 9. He is explaining what, um, what the problem is with Israel. And he gives us in that text, in chapter 10, this wonderful definition of saving faith. So this last section, we're, by the way, chapter 11 for next year, Chapter 11 is one of the most talked about chapters in all of the Bible because it has to do with Israel's future hope, Israel's future position. Israel, I mean, there's so much eschatological uh, baggage that gets thrown into chapter 11 that we'll have to take a look at next year. But again, 9, 10, and 11 are a section in dealing with the Jewish question. And, and Paul begins it by saying how he aches over his, his countrymen according to the flesh, that they have not... They've not embraced this message, and then he he tells he mentions that at the close of chapter nine. Then he uses an entire chapter to to give you somewhat of a a commentary on those last three verses of chapter nine. This last section is an explanation of verse sixteen. Look at verse sixteen of chapter ten. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now. Um, for, uh, chapter, verses 18 through 21 is an explanation of that. That is, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Why have they not obeyed the gospel? That's what we're going to look at these four verses. But let me remind you before we jump into that, gang, Paul is, is not trying to win an argument here. He's not trying to, um, debate somebody so that he can get the most points. He is a, a lover of his countrymen, and what he is seeking to do is to prove that their, their position, theologically or, or spiritually, is indefensible and inexcusable. 
And so this la- these last four verses is kind of the um, his 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 closing piece of argument concerning how indefensible and how inexcusable is the spiritual posture of Israel. Okay, so he states in verse sixteen, not all obeyed the gospel. Why is it that people have not obeyed the gospel? I'm going to mention four answers to that question. Two of them are directly in the text. The other two are by way of implication. So we have two things. Why have they not obeyed the gospel? We're going to see two very clearly in the text. The two are by way of implication. We'll see those. Okay. So why is it that people have not embraced, obeyed this gospel? Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Is the reason why they haven't obeyed the gospel that they didn't hear it? Ask Paul. And then he goes on to say, oh, no, no, no. That's not the problem. Um, it's, it's, not a pro- it's not a matter of lack of hearing it. Look at what he says. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That is a quote from Psalm 19.4, guys. Um, Paul does the same thing. Um, you don't need to turn here, but in, in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, he says, Yet he did not leave them without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Gang, um, ignorance is inexcusable because in every fruitful season, God has been sending you a message. That's his argument. He says, this message has gone out into the, all the earth, the, 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 their words to the ends of the world. Gang, um, I, I need this board for other reasons in a minute, but I, I, I hope you know the distinction between what is called uh, natural, that's an end, natural revelation as opposed to, or, or general uh, revelation as opposed to special. Gang, this is the argument of the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Romans. And, and his argument is basically this, that men are rendered excuseless. They're rendered inexcusable because of messages that can be heard and seen clearly through natural revelation, general revelation, creation. You surely know that. Um, Try to flip over real fast to Romans chapter 1. This is his argument that he he begins with in verses 19 and 20 of Romans 1. He says, um, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has showed it to them. How did he show it to them? Well, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. How? Ever since the creation of the world, how? In the things that have been made. Guys, that's the argument that he's using in verse 18 of chapter 10. That there is a message, there is a clear a communique from the Father through the seasons and the fruit that they, they bring through creation, through what has been made, God can be seen. Um... So he says, have they not heard? Oh, no, they can't say that. Because 
That voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Um, there is a message that renders men excuseless just by observing God's imprint on creation. Um, you know, you, um, you hear people talk about how, oh, it's a beautiful spring morning and, and uh, there's just all kinds of um, evidences of God all around. Well, that's true. There is a message. I mean, sit out in your backyard tomorrow and, and while you're um, looking at the trees, just ask yourself, who made those things? I mean, the evolutionist has an answer. But those are, those are testimonies about the existence of some, somebody bigger and greater and, and um, far more powerful. That message has gone out to the ends of the earth. I want to show you one other thing. Because Paul goes so far as to say in Colossians 1, uh, and this is interesting, I maybe will regret raising this, but this is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Listen to this. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you hear what, I mean, Paul said, you heard the gospel, and it has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, guys, uh, has the gospel been preached to every individual? Well, I think the clear answer to that is no, uh, it has not. But I'm about to do something for you that if you will, if you will stay with me on this, it's a, it's an, it's an interpretational secret that if you get it, it'll help you study your Bibles. I promise it will. Now, guys, let me read you that again. The hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Is that a true or false statement? Well, let me show you some others that, that, um, that, 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 are, that are similar. Um, I, w- I want you to look at these. See if you can find Luke 2 real fast. Luke 2, um, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where we read this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Did you see that? All the world should be registered. Tell me. Was all the world registered? Was the American Indian uh, registered in the tax of uh, Caesar Augustus? Was the Eskimo of uh, Antarctica uh, registered in that? that? But but it says all the the world should be registered. Okay, how about this one? Turn over to the same book, Luke 24. This is Jesus in his um, discussion on the road to Emmaus. Uh, verse 27, and it says, uh, verse 24, 27, and, the, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things. Did Jesus cover the entire scriptures, every verse, with those guys on the road to Emmaus? Well, I would suggest not. How about going back a book with me to Mark chapter 1? Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, that's John the Baptist, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
But look at the verse, guys. It says, everybody in Jerusalem was going out to be uh, baptized by John the Baptist. Was every citizen of Jerusalem being baptized by John the Baptist? The Pharisees weren't. The Sadducees weren't. Was every citizen of Jerusalem? Then why does the Bible talk like that? Why does the Bible use language like that, guys? Because it's the same kind of language you use. You talk like that all the time. I just did it. Do I talk like that all the time? No. But uh, is it a false statement that I just... Here's my favorite. I love peanut butter and I eat it all the time. Is that a true statement? Well, depending on how you understand my what I just said. I love peanut butter and I eat it for breakfast. I do. I eat it for lunch. I Sometimes when I'm dieting, I will take a spoonful of, of peanut butter and eat it for my dessert. I'll eat it anytime. I love peanut butter and I eat it all the time. But when I say that, I don't mean all the time, every second of every day. I'm speaking not that I eat it all at all times without exception. I eat it all times without distinction. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, it could be morning, afternoon, evening, night. I don't care. I'm eating it all the time. Now, gang, my, my, my point is, when, when the Bible says all people went out to be baptized by John the Baptist, everybody in Jerusalem went out to be baptized by him. It means... Not all without exception, but all without distinction. That is, there were some there were some Pharisees out there, there were some Sadducees out there, there were some poor people and educated people and some women people and some men people. And all the people went. Gang, you talk like that too. That's just language. But if you insist on that kind of thing. Uh, that the whole created world was... I mean, gang, interpretationally, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. When, when Paul says in Colossians 1 uh, that the gospel which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven has every man in the world heard the gospel. No. But in all the world it has been preached... With Not without exception, but without distinction. Do you remember when Paul was, uh, it's in Acts, gosh, 24, 26 or something. He's standing before Agrippa. And um, Agrippa's grilling him about what he's preaching. And, and Paul's just trying to explain it to him, etc. And, and he says, Agrippa, Agrippa, Baba, I know that you, I know that you understand what I'm talking about. And then he says, because this hasn't been done in a, in a corner. What is he saying? That's a piece of metaphorical language, guys. He's not talking about a corner. He's communicating that this was done in open, in public. It wasn't done in private. And it is available for everybody to see. That's the same thing that Paul means in Colossians 1. It's the same thing that Paul means in Colossians in Romans chapter 10. The message has gone out to all the earth. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, what, I, but what do you, well, it's, it's the same way that you and I use that kind of language, guys. 
um, when, when, he, when he's, what he's trying to answer is this. Can a Jew say that the reason that I didn't obey the gospel is because I didn't hear it? He says, no, they can't say that. Because uh, this word has gone out into all the earth. There's natural revelation. But this gospel hasn't been, hasn't been confined to the corners of the city. It has been broadcast publicly. It's gone to all the earth. <laughs> um, you keep that little thing in mind, and it'll help you when you study your Bibles. Because there's plenty of places where the Scripture talks of uses that kind of language the same way we do. And we don't in, insist upon that kind of exactitude, not, not exactitude, uh, that kind of literalness to our, to our when, I, when I say, I love peanut butter and I eat it all the time, nobody says to me, now you stop that line, Jimmy Young. You don't do, no. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a function of language. And that's the same kind of things that you see happening in the scriptures. Now, but again, back to the argument. The argument is, why have not all Israel obeyed? Can they say we never heard? And Paul says, no, you can't say that. Because the voice has gone out into all the earth. Um, in addition to that argument, uh, Jesus says to about Jews in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In terms of Judaism, ladies and gentlemen, Judaism cannot say, cannot say, well, we would have embraced it if we'd have just heard it. And Jesus says, and Paul has one argument, Jesus has another one, and Jesus says, is, no, you had the scriptures, and you searched those scriptures. And um, i got to tell you something, guys. Those scriptures are about me. So he's, again, they can never say, we have not heard. Then verse 18, he does the same thing. Look, notice how, they, how 18 and 19 are similar. They start the same way. But I ask, but I ask. The first uh, question he's trying to answer, can Judaism use the excuse that they have not heard? No, they can't use that excuse. Verse 19, can they use this excuse? But I, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Could Israel possibly say, that the reason that we didn't obey the gospel is that we just didn't understand it. It just wasn't clear enough for us. If you'd have just made it a little simpler, we'd have, we'd have embraced it gladly. And he says, no, you can't say that. And then his argument here, guys, is rather, it's rather difficult. Let me do my best. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, go over there and find that. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, 32, 21. They, that is Israel, or Judaism, Israel has made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So, I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. 
Now, gang, that is the verse that Paul quotes in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Oh, no, says Paul. They understood it. And the evidence that they understand it, stay with me, guys. This is, uh, um, first of all, he quotes Moses. Then he quotes um, Isaiah in verse 20. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Gang, in Deuteronomy 32, here's what God was saying. My people have gone after idols, which are really no gods at all. That made me jealous. So, I am going to prompt them to jealousy by identifying myself with a people that they consider to be not a people, Gentiles. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the point. The fact that the audience to which Paul is writing is gnawing their teeth over Gentiles being brought in is the evidence that they did understand it. Their jealousy, this is, this is their jealousy of Israel or Gentiles being brought in by the preaching of the gospel by Paul. Their jealousy over that is an evidence that they understood what God was up to. He warned them. He said that in Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to get a people that you don't even consider a people because you went to gods that I don't consider gods. I'm going to get a people that you don't even consider a people. And I'm going to identify myself with them. And it aroused their jealousy. And you see it in the great arguments that Paul has. That Israel is so offended that that Gentiles would be brought in. That jealousy just demonstrates that they did understand um, what God had uh, told them he was going to do in, in Deuteronomy 32. So the two arguments, the two arguments that are clearly in the text... Um, That is, can they say we have not heard? No, they can't say that. Can they say we have not understood? No, they can't say that. Now, there's 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 two other pieces of why did these people not believe? Um, and and I think those they're they're in there by way of implication. Let me um. Let, let me point out what I what I think is here. What I think Paul has to say. First of all, I will make in verse 19. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I'm suggesting this, guys. That the third reason that Judaism or Israel has not embraced the gospel is because of mistake, a mistake they made over thinking that um, the issue was a national one. That is, if I belonged to a certain nation, if I was a Jew, then I was automatically okay. I was automatically safe. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, um, because I was in the right nation. Those guys are in the wrong nation, but I'm in the right nation. Uh, I will make you jealous of a people who are not a nation. They spoke so derisively. They spoke so uh, demeaningly of this other nation. Because they thought that the only thing that had to be true of them is that they needed to be born in the right nation. A Gentile was a dog. And he couldn't be saved because he was, a, he was not a part of Israel. Because if you were a part of Israel, everybody knows everything's fine. No, um, uh, that's another reason that they did not obey the gospel, because they thought they were safe because they belonged to a nation. 
And that's a mistake on the part of Israel. The other thing that I, I would suggest that is hinted in the text in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That word foolish. Guys, Israel uh, treated not only, I mean, treated anybody who was non-Israel as a dog. They were all um, the goyim, the nations who were unclean and dirty. But their their primary um, piece of um, deficiency was that they weren't, they weren't in possession of the kind of information that Israel had. Israel made great boast of being in possession of the law, being in possession of the scriptures. And so those other folks, those other folks were foolish. They were uneducated. They were uninstructed. The, the, the implication is, I, I think, is that Israel has come to the conclusion that being in possession of certain information keeps you safe. Being in possession of certain knowledge makes you okay. They had that knowledge, but they weren't okay. So I'm suggesting, guys, there were three... Paul is trying to explain why they didn't obey. It wasn't because they didn't hear. It wasn't because they couldn't understand. And they thought, they thought they were a part of the right nation and thus they were okay. And they thought they were in possession of certain information that would keep them safe. Now, a couple more things and we're done. Um, Guys... Why do people refuse the gospel today? Why is the gospel not embraced more readily today? Because people have not heard it? No, that's not it. Is it because they haven't understood it? I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, they have understood it. They have understood it and they've, re- they've self-consciously rejected it. They, they self-consciously spurned it because... Um, it was a message that they didn't, they didn't like. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to communicate, guys, is that, that the errors of, of Israel is the error of the unbeliever today. He has heard. Our, our problem is not that we haven't heard the gospel or that we haven't understood it. Our problem is we have rejected it. This, this culture of ours does hear it. They have understood it, and they have self-consciously rejected it. We have one on the loose. Um, guys, no one has anyone to blame for their unbelief but themselves. You, you cannot shift my un, the reasons for my unbelief to something some deficiency in God. The deficiency, well, actually, it's not so much a deficiency as it is a rebellion. The rebellion is in me. I've heard it. I understood it. And I don't want it. I'm not interested. Put me down for no interest. Now, one other thing and I'm done. I want you to see this, guys. Um, we're talking here about why so many in Israel had uh, not obeyed the gospel. And yet the man who wrote that is a Jew. He is out of Israel, and he did embrace it. Why? Why did Paul embrace it? Why was this Jew uh, 
Why, why did he become a Christian? How did he become a Christian when so many others in Israel did not? Gang, look at verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Now, gang, why is it that Paul embraced this message? Why is it that Paul embraced this gospel? Because he was one who was smarter and he figured it out and, and he start, started seeking God and he flung himself at God because he knew that this was the right thing to do and this is what he wanted? No! Paul was found by, some, by someone who he wasn't seeking. Paul was... Um, I mean, God revealed himself to someone who didn't ask for him. Paul wasn't asking. In fact, if you know the story, and I think you do, what was Paul doing when he was converted? He was on a road to a city in Damascus to try and kill other people who've embraced this message. And who found whom? Who Sought whom? How did Paul get it? Because God saw fit to reveal himself to someone who wasn't searching for him. Just like the rest of us. Why is it that you embrace this message, ladies and gentlemen? It's not because you were smart enough to figure it out. No. It's not because you were really a spiritual entity and were really after you were going to find God. No. No, He found you. Folks, in the Garden of Eden, um, there's this scene that you know about. And um, God says, um, you know, I don't want you to eat from that tree out there. And so Adam, I mean, Eve does her thing and gives it to Adam and he eats and and then as a result of that, the text says that they were made aware of their nakedness. And they begin to cover up and sow fig leaves, etc., etc. Now, go back. I, I really kind of stole my thunder. But what happens when they realize that they are naked? Oh, everybody knows what they did. Why, they, um, they got together. They sat down over a cup of coffee and they said, Now, honey, we've made a big mistake. We need to get our act together. We need to go find God. I mean, he's been talking to us before. We'll, we'll, we'll put ourselves on the course of finding him, but we'll, we'll, make, we'll find him. Uh, so you and I need to get, get busy, and we need to sit down what it is that we're doing because we need to find God. We need to go get him wherever he is. I don't know where he is, but we're going to find him because we've got to pursue God. Do you see that in Genesis 3? No, you didn't because it's not there. Because what they did, as you know, is that they begin to sew fig leaves together to cover their shame, and they begin to hide. Now, here's my question. Who sought whom? Gang, here's my next question. When did that change? It didn't. Do you know why you've embraced this message, ladies and gentlemen? Because God chased you down. He chose to reveal himself to, to us 
who weren't even looking for him. You didn't find him. He found you. You didn't seek him. He sought you. You didn't figure out what he's like. He chose in sovereign grace to explain himself to a group of to an individual and a group of people who weren't even asking for him. How did Paul find him? The same way I did. The same way you did. Which is really you didn't find him at all. He got you. He found you. He he chased you down. I, I I'll close with this, but there's a there's a poem that I've used several times around here. But it's a it's by a Sir Francis Thompson or something like that, and it's entitled "The Hound of Heaven," and I don't know much of it, but the, it's a it's a portrayal of a of a hound that is chasing you in some of the languages across the labyrinthine ways of the of the years, nipping at your heels. I love that image, the hound. Chasing you down and nipping at your heels. And guess what? He caught you. <laughs> and this thing is beautiful to you because God has chosen to show himself to a group of people who did not ask for me. That's how Paul found him. That's how you found him. That's great. Our Father, um, what can we say to a God who, who sought us when we weren't seeking Him? Who explained Himself when we weren't even asking the, the questions? Who overtook us and changed us by His grace? Why, what, what do we say to a God who determined to save us and refused not to love us. He was steadfast and determined to woo us and bring us to Himself. And we are here tonight as redeemed men and women, not because we were smarter, not because we were better, not because we were more spiritual. We're here because you chased us down, God. And you've brought us to yourself and we are everlastingly glad that you have. Father, we belong to you. Now do with us as you wish. Put us where you would have us when you would have us, doing what you would have us. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.